Previously on Myth Tarot Love, we examined the Queen of Swords and Atalanta. Today's show will focus on the King of Swords and Emperor Marcus Aurelius. Myth and Tarot, where do the ideas go? Let's talk about stories, swords, and symbols, and all of the above. Welcome to Myth Tarot Love, a show about ancient stories and new aged wisdom. I'm Biddy, your expert in classics. And I'm Rose, your resident tarot practitioner, and uh, this week you'll see your resident sicky. Yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so, sorry about that intro. Probably a little bit rusty. No, it was cute. <laughs> I can definitely hear the throat, though. Oh, uh, yeah. Bad. I was going to be like eating. Eating all the lozenges this week. Yeah. Don't worry. It was still better on their ears than if I were to sing. So oh. That's good. <laughs> Too generous. Too generous. No, pretty. no, no. Anyways, we're talking about the King of Swords today. Mm. And um, also a little bit about what does it feel like when some of the cards come into your life? Because we've kind of talked about... Um, how to interpret cards um, when you're reading them in a spread. Mm -hmm. But sometimes... Uh, cards also have kind of a feeling that comes over you, and you're like, and, and the, that feeling is actually represented by a card. And I thought, what better than to use a card that's so much about the mind <laughs> to talk about feelings, because <laughs> that's just the kind of page of cups I am. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, the King of Swords, a little bit about the description of the King of Swords. Um, when you first look at the King of Swords, you might be struck by how similar the whole composition of the, of the card looks to another card in the Major Arcana, and that is the Card of Justice. Very similar. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so in, in the Card of Justice, just to kind of... Uh, in, in both of these cards, you, you have a, a figure who could be male or female, although in the case of the King of Swords, we're going to assume that it's male, um, because... Kings tend to be male, yep. um, and, but both of them are holding a sword in their right hand and are staring directly at uh, the onlooker. Uh, another thing that's kind of uncommon in both of these cards is they both have the color purple with them. Uh, with Justice, you have a purple shroud that's behind the figure of that is re being represented of Justice, and this is kind of like representing hidden mysteries behind them. Uh, but also the color purple in general tends to represent nobility mm -hmm. as well as like um, divine upper class, yeah. if you will. Do you know why that is? I'm going to jump in. Oh, why? Please oh. do tell. Do uh, tell. No, Expert I should. in class. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> well, because it was very rare. Um, there were these little um, sheets. She, she shells? <laughs> she, she shells? She shells. Um, that would produce this purple dye. And you can only get, I think it was on tire, that they could get this color from. And so that's why it was super, super rare and hard so, to get. So Because it was a really hard color to make. Yeah. And so that's why it's a color of nobility because it'd be super expensive and only noble can afford it. Go figure. It's, mm -hmm. it's actually a very rare color in the tarot as well. Mm -hmm. um, we don't see it appear in a lot of cards. So when it does... Normally, it's kind of a little, it jumps out a little bit. Um, and in the King of Swords case, he is actually, um, his cape is all purple. And it's kind of, it kind of looks like 
the shroud that was behind Justice just fell on the shoulders <laughs> of the figure, and it's like the figure has now become the King of Swords. Mm. And I, I do feel like this is not by accident. In a lot of ways, the King of Swords is kind of like the personification of Justice in the Minor Arcana. Um, so Justice, if we remember, was the promise of judgment, um, but when it comes to the King of Swords case, he actually is the judge as well, mm. because that is part of his job as being the king. Um, okay, so let's describe a little bit more about what he looks like. He's wearing all light blue, uh, very reminiscent of a clear sky, kind of similar to how the Queen of Swords was wearing a clouded shroud. Um, in this case, it's the king is all, all in blue um, with some red accents. Kind of like the blue sky behind him too. Exactly. There's there's a clear day, although there are a few a few clouds here and there, um, but not they're not really moving very quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, as we looked at before, when it came to the page and the, and the Knight of Swords, the clouds were were moving rather quickly. Um, now it is a much calmer day, and you have a couple of birds that are flying uh, on around his left shoulder. And at, the, at his feet, you have the same trees that we've been looking at in the whole court of the swords, but the trees aren't moving at all this time, which is also an indication that we have um, no wind, basically, in this day. And no mm. wind is representing a clear mind. Um, so the, the, whole, the whole idea of quick change uh, that we had earlier with the page and the, and the, the knight of swords... Uh, is no longer here with the King of Swords. Um, he makes his decisions very calmly, mm-hmm. like a calm, calm summer's day. <laughs> uh, he does not uh, jump into things at all. He de- definitely takes his time to make his decisions, and he looks at things from a very large perspective. Um, other symbols that might jump out at you... Um, or on his crown, it looks like there's a couple of butterflies as well as what looks like maybe some masks, kind of hidden. Masks, eh? Yeah, like kind of like a little little face. Oh, yeah. At, 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 like, kind of just hidden in there, mm-hmm. like a little jewel, only the jewel's a human face, which is a little <laughs> bit creepy. Kind of creepy, yeah. <laughs> Definitely a little bit creepy. Yeah. Especially with the way he just kind of like stares at you. Um, I think this shows a lot about his humanity. Okay. Um, the fact that on his crown, so similar when we looked at the Queen of Swords, um, the the butterflies represent transformation, mm-hmm. right? So similarly, he is looking at transformation, but also um, his, his power is not just that of transformation, but is also that of humanity mm. and understanding humanity. Um, so that's one of the, I, I, I believe that's why he has the figure of a, a face embedded on his crown. Uh, in a kind of creepy way, <laughs> he also he also has um, he also has butterflies on his actual throne, and then on the left of his shoulder, he actually has little angels, um, one or perhaps two of them that are kind of it almost looks like they're talking to him. Yeah, they're whispering in his ear. But they're like on his throne. But the way mm-hmm. it just appears, it looks like he's he's being being guided by angels, yeah. which could also be a protective symbol it reminds me just talking about this now there's mm-hmm. um i think it's asher nazarpal has a steely um behind his throne as well and it's him in the middle with genies on either side and again genies are protective figures 
um, and symbols of fertility. And so that kind of That's reminds cool. me of that too. It's like they're, yeah, like the whispering or just like the protection there. Yeah. Um, well, like in general, we consider angels to be messengers of God, right? Um, or different aspects of God, like different, um, so for example, some of the angels like Raphael means God heals. So mm -hmm. he represents the healing nature of God and other angels, uh, represent different natures of God. Right. So we don't really know what angels are next to this King of Swords in this case, but I would imagine probably someone, uh, it would be an angel that gives him good advice. <laughs> probably godly divine advice <laughs> at least. Um, yeah, and that very much has a lot to do with the King of Swords in general. Okay. Um, so yeah. what does he mean? Who, who is he? Who is he? Um, well, he can be many things. He can be a person in your life. Um, he can represent you. He can also represent an event. Um, so I think when he represents a person, it's, it's kind of a little more obvious because... Uh, he represents a person who's really calm and who just looks at the big picture. Um, a common descriptor for the King of Swords would be stoic. Mm -hmm. um, so someone who's not necessarily like uh, emotionless. They definitely have emotions, but they just know how to control them in such a way that uh, it doesn't really affect the underlying judgments that need to be made. Uh, the King of Swords is almost always someone who makes makes decisions um, and is a is, you know, one of those people that leads not because they want to, mm -hmm. but because they have to, or they can, or the most of the, most of the time they are the leader that people tend to put them in that position because they know the most about what it, whatever it is that's needed to be known. Um, so they tend to be highly intelligent and skilled as well. Uh, so Kings of Swords, um, I actually highlighted a part of Ada Tarot to describe him a little bit as well. Uh, he does not linger waiting for something to do. He appears only when he is needed to drive raging emotions from you or when his impartiality and cold judgment will help you solve a problem. Hmm, okay. So this is normally when the King of Swords appears. And I just, I said it a little earlier, I wanted to talk about the feeling of what happens when you are overcome by a card. So, so, uh, if, the King of Swords appears for you, and it's kind of like a future time, and it's representing um, an event. It might represent the feeling of clarity and like that sudden epiphany and understanding everything and seeing a, a, the big picture of it all, right? Um, so I'm going to contrast this to the Queen of Swords. The feeling of the Queen of Swords might be that moment when you realize someone is lying, <laughs> right? Or that moment when you realize, oh, wait, that's all bullshit. <laughs> and then you just rise above it like the Queen of Swords does um, and often challenges them on it. <laughs> but the King of Swords is that moment when everything suddenly just makes sense. Mm. Um, the puzzle has been solved and now you can finally make the, those decisions that you really needed to be made. Um, so he's a really great helper to have. Um, as an obstacle, if he appears to you as an obstacle, he can be a very difficult obstacle to overcome. Uh, he might honestly represent um, your lack of ability to see the big picture. Okay. Right? Uh, he could also represent um, 
being un- uh, like unempathetic mm-hmm. and cold and unfeeling towards other people because that's something that the King of Swords has been known to do as well. He he definitely puts action and what needs to be done over people's feelings, mm. um, as is kind of similar with all of the all of our sword sword court people. They tend to care more about results um, than than feelings. the feelings and how you necessarily get there. Um, Another thing that I would like to talk about with the King of Swords is that um, he reminds me a lot of what Plato described as the Philosopher King. So the Philosopher King is a ruler who possesses both a love of knowledge and as well as intelligence, reliability, and willingness to live a simple life, such as uh, rulers of a utopia city. Um, I definitely read that just from Google. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, so... All of those traits, though, um, come in with the King of Swords as well. He's intelligent. Um, He doesn't rule because he wants power. That's definitely not what the King of Swords does. He rules because he is the most capable of ruling. Mm -hmm. Um, And he rules because he is the best decision maker to be had. And if there was a better decision maker, he would find him and he would put him in charge. (laughs) Because that's just the kind of thing a King of Swords would do. He cares... He cares most about the well-being of his people and doesn't really care so much about his own suffering or his own well-being and tends to um, bury his own emotions. So the personality type that I associate him the most with from our Myers-Briggs personality types is the INTP personality type. And this was kind of a hard thing for me to come to at first because... uh, I was a little bit shocked to put kind of a, a, an introverted and perceiving character as a king because kings generally are such strong rulers and strong leaders and the INTP isn't really known as being a leader. Although most of the INTPs I know tend to be leaders in their careers, not by choice, but because they end up being the ones who uh, like know the most about their subject matter. And so I kind of saw those characteristics and was like, huh, I wonder. <laughs> I wonder <laughs> and, if that's why. Yeah, and so I started looking a little bit more into it, and I just kept seeing the similarities. So um, INTP it is. <laughs> So a little bit about the introverted, intuitive, thinking, perceiving type is uh, they are great analysts and abstract thinkers. And I would say this is probably what they have the most in common with the King of Swords. Um, They are able to see the big, complex machine of it all um, and recognize like all of the parts that are related in that machine and make all those connections. um, And they can analyze it and find what might what other people might think is unrelated and see how it all connects and just see they're big pe- they're big picture thinkers um they're also very imaginative and original they come up with solutions that other people wouldn't have even considered um they're very open-minded they love gathering ideas <laughs> they're enthusiastic objective uh, they definitely don't depend on emotions when it comes to making decisions They're honest and straightforward, uh, but some of their weaknesses is they can be very private and withdrawn. Um, My husband's actually an INTP, and uh, yeah, 
he could he could hide under a rock with the internet and be very happy for the rest of his life. <laughs> That's not true. He would want he'd want to play board games. Yeah, time. I was gonna say like, nah. <laughs> he'd be like, oh, I found a new board game. It sounds interesting. I um, need people for that though. <laughs> I need people for that. I can't program my people yet. <laughs> oh no! What happens when he can? Exactly. Well, he's interested in artificial intelligence oh, because yeah. he's an INTP. <laughs> um, okay, they can be very insensitive, um, as as I mentioned with the, one of the downsides of the King of Swords, if, especially if he's appearing as a, an obstacle. Uh, since they don't really care so much about uh, emotional considerations, it's not so much that they don't care, it's more that um, it's difficult for them to value anything other than logic. <laughs> um, logic always comes first to them. Um, and when people are acting in purely emotional ways, they have a tendency to get kind of confused and just not understand why people would act that way. Um, they can also be very absent-minded. I have so many stories about that, but I don't think my <laughs> husband would be happy if I said that. <laughs> um, they can be condescending if uh, they're talking with someone that they think really isn't isn't able to make logical um, like logical conversations happen, they get, they just get really frustrated with those people. Um, they can also loathe rules and guidelines that oh. don't make sense to them. They can definitely be a bit of rebels if they think that, um, they're following rules just because they're rules. They're not that kind of person. They, the rules always have to make sense. Mm. Um, and they can also really second guess themselves. And that's one of the downfalls of being a big picture thinker mm -hmm. is that you see your own downsides as well as your own upsides, right? Um, so they do tend to be rather modest. And um, I think it's one of the reasons why they do tend to not crave the spotlight as well. Like they don't really want to be in the spotlight because they know that's where you fall hardest. Mm. Um, huh. And they just keep getting put there against <laughs> their will because they tend to know things and then they'll think to themselves, ah, oh, why did I have to tell them how to do things? <laughs> and they get very frustrated about yeah. it. Yeah, you said that they remind you of um, Star Trek characters? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I would say those two Star Trek characters that they remind me the most of is definitely Spock. Right? Spock is like your your go-to king of swords. Yeah. He's got emotions, but they're definitely under control, and they don't influence his decision-making. Did I tell you that that's actually your husband's um, name, like phone number in my phone? It's is Spock. it really? Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. Yeah, that is his nickname, Spock. <laughs> um, yeah, emotions. He doesn't understand why they are valuable to people. Um <laughs> Although we've had many con many great conversations about it, and um, yeah, he he understands a little there. bit better now. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's yeah. been several years, yeah. <laughs> several years of work. Um, yeah, um, yeah. So you know, Spock is a great example. Another example would be Data. Um, I would say one of the things that da Data is from the next generation of Star Trek, and he's actually a robot. <laughs> who wants to learn how to be human. Mm -hmm. um, and I would say the thing that makes him the most like a king of swords is his curiosity and his his logic, obviously. Um, but also he's just constantly gathering information and seeing a big picture and is fully able to um, acknowledge his own faults without any um, 
without any shame really about it. He's just like, yes, these are my faults and I will work to overcome them, blah, 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 blah. Um, where he's not like a king of swords is he does not have the emotion, right? Um, of, of a king of swords, although Data, the character, also very much values emotion and um, wishes he did have emotion, actually, is one of his, his greatest uh, flaws that he personally sees in himself. Anyways, uh, so, before getting too carried away, uh, <laughs> which person uh, from stories does the king of swords remind you of? <laughs> yeah, so he reminds me of the emperor Marcus Aurelius, so not a man from story, but a man from history. This a real time. boy. A real boy, <laughs> a real man. Um, yeah, so he, um, just go a bit about him, so he was born in 121 CE, so, long time ago. A long time, yeah. <laughs> um, he was adopted when he was 17 by Antonius Pius, who was actually adopted by the emperor Trajan, sorry, not Trajan, Hadrian. Mm -hmm. So, this was common then, especially um, if they didn't have a suitable heir, but also they wanted someone who would do the job properly <laughs> and yeah. who they felt had what it takes um, to be yeah, to become emperor and to rule in a proper way one day. So they just saw him as having the, the traits that they were looking for. Mm -hmm. Exactly, yeah. Um, he was, so he was also a philosopher, um, as well as Prinkeps, or basically the ruler, and mm -hmm. wrote um, to himself, which is now called Meditations in Greek, um, which is a startlingly personal exploration of his own conceptions and the good of good and his place in human society. So I'm going to talk about a bit more about that later, but that's one of the things he's definitely most known for. Um, so Marcus Aurelius ruled as emperor from 161 to 180 and as a joint ruler with equal powers alongside his adopted brother, uh, Lucius Verus, from 161 to 169. So that's something different about him and his rule is that um, he, so he was like, like, they were equal rulers, but he was definitely more so. Like, he was the Pontifex Maximus, so he had uh, more secular duties um, than his brother, but they still ru ruled equally. That's so cool. I didn't know that, like, that was an option in... Yeah, it didn't happen often. <laughs> I think this is like, the only Normally they time. would just kill each other and be done with it. Mm -hmm. It's like, I'm the ruler now. Yeah, it's me All or the nothing. power for myself, but they were willing to share. They're willing to share, and this was, um, I think, an idea brought up by the Emperor Hadrian um, as well. So they were kind of, again, both formed in that way, but mm -hmm. unfortunately he didn't, his brother didn't live uh, for much longer after um, they were cool rulers, but he it didn't go well. He wasn't killed by Marcus, was he? No, <laughs> That no, would no, just no. undo everything I said. <laughs> right? No, 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 he wasn't, he wasn't. Um, so during this time, um, Aurelius ruled in Rome, while his brother Varus ruled in the east, um, which was strategic, I can't talk today, and I'm not the sick one, <laughs> which was strategic, um, since they were having issues in Britain and Germany, as well as, as well as with the Parthians in the east. Mm -hmm. um, but other than those disputes, the beginning of Marcus's reign was actually fairly prosperous. Uh, the Mediterranean Sea was referred to as our sea, and the shipping routes, which were essential to the Roman economy, um, crisscrossed all around it. So everything was kind of in a good space. Yeah. Um, so it was pretty prosperous. Pretty prosperous. Yeah, pretty, pretty good. Calm and peaceful. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so he's lucky in that sense, for sure. Other yeah. than, again, some some issues. Um, Marcus married Antonius's, so his adopted father's daughter, uh, Faustina the Younger, and had as many as 15 children. Damn. Yep. He got busy. Yep. <laughs> Very. <laughs> 15 kids with the same woman. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Good on her. I was going to say, good on her. Woman. Man, That's a, she's a lot of babies. Yeah. She was a fertile one. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of his daughters actually married uh, Lucius Verus, his adopted brother. Okay. So there was a, about a 20-year age gap there. But again, adopt no blood relation there. But still kind of weird. We're like, yay, no incest. Yay, Boom, 20-year gap. Kind of weird. <laughs> yep. Um, but that's also from our perspectives now. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It, it, a strategic marriage. Like, 20-year sure. age gaps weren't even that weird 100 years ago. No. Like, no. But, the, like, I'm pretty sure when I was looking at it, she was 14 and he was 34. That's a that's, little that's much. A little, that's a little... Yeah, yeah. That, that upsets me. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, yes, again, Varys did, unfortunately, die, but it was of a stroke um, in 161, which left Marcus as sole princeps, and he basically spent the rest of his life actually fighting in the North. Um, and in his meditations, um, his book, he steals himself to carry through his obligation, um, even though he considers warfare contrary to the philosophy and the good, but mm-hmm. he did, yeah, spend basically the rest of his life on the front fighting. That's interesting. So he must have had, like, this huge conflict in himself if he's writing about how war is bad mm-hmm. and he's warring. And he's the one, like, in charge, yeah. <laughs> basically, yeah. That must mean, like, he must have felt like he was forced to do this war mm-hmm. in some way. Yeah. Yikes. Yep. I guess being the most powerful man ever still makes you not necessarily the most powerful. <laughs> well, let's just say you can't yeah. always do what you want. You need to do what's best for your uh, empire, your country, your, <laughs> your, empire, empire, your yeah. empire. Like, it's not just him... Like, he had, you know, there were senators or other people mm-hmm. that he had to account for as well. And, and advisors, I imagine, as yeah, well. Yeah, exactly. And if people are, you know, fighting back, then you can't just let them, I guess. Anywho. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so the central theme um, to the meditations is the importance of analyzing um, one's judgment of self and others and the development of a cosmic perspective. So Marcus Aurelius um, practiced Stoicism, which is, you know, connection to the King of Swords there a little bit. Yeah, King of Swords can definitely be called Stoic. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Which is a philosophy that was heavily influenced by the teaching of Socrates and relies heavily on personal ethics informed by a system of logic and its views on the natural world. So again, logic... Mm-hmm. The INTP. I'll, I'll come together, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of luck. Yeah. No, I, I definitely see some similarities there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Logic being, like, one of the highest virtues. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And Stoics, they were not, con- or are not controlled by their desires for pleasure or the fear of pain, but they use their minds to understand the world and the importance of working together and treating others fairly and justly. Yeah, that's definitely in line with the ideals of the sword suit as well. Awesome. Like, mind over emotions, mm-hmm, <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. and fairness and justice, um, 
the King of Swords being a personification of justice itself. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Is there anything else that you wanted to mention about Stoicism at um, all? Or... I know a little yeah. bit about Stoicism, um, although I feel like I probably won't do it justice. Um, some other things about Stoicism, it's, it's basically just a branch of philosophy um, where the... I, I do know that it's influenced a lot um, into modern therapy as well. Like uh, cognitive behavior therapy takes a lot from the ideas of stoicism and like just kind of uh, basics of that is this idea that we can't really control what happens to us, but we can control how we react to it. And that's kind of the one of the main principles of both stoicism and cognitive behavior therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, Similarly, uh, I think you already mentioned that like Stoics believe that virtue is the only good, mm-hmm. and so they're deciding what is virtuous and for themselves and uh, pursuing it to the highest degree. Yeah. Yep. Very good. Yeah. Cool. All right. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, yes. So just finishing up Marcus over here. Um, so he did die of natural causes. Luckily, um, in early March of 180. That's nice that it was natural. Yeah. I mean, if you watch the movie Gladiator, it's <laughs> not so natural in that movie, but... <laughs> Is that you... with Marcus Aurelius in it? Yeah. I didn't know. I've never... I don't know if I've seen that movie. <gasps> you need if, to see if I've If I have seen it, it's <laughs> been, like, a long time ago. Yeah, so he's the emperor at, like, the beginning of the movie that was with... Oh, I don't even know... Shoot, what the main character's name? Um, Maximus. <laughs> okay. Something Maximus. Yeah. So he was, like, a, again, on the front lines, and all of them, they loved each other, and then his son Commodus comes in, and I'm not going to spoil it, but I mean, it's been out <laughs> for, like, 20 years. So yeah, yeah, I know. So, like, okay, if I've so. seen it, it was, it was, like, 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah, okay. So, I'm not yeah, going to say... But yeah, that, that's Marcus Aurelius, and, um, yeah. Ah, well, there we go. time to pull out the old movies. Yes, <laughs> definitely. It's definitely a really, really good watch. Um, but yeah, sorry. So he died, natural causes, mm-hmm. <laughs> March of early 180 in modern-day Vienna, Austria, mm-hmm. um, and was succe- succeeded by his only surviving son, Commodus, who was only 19 years old. So, wow. again, remember, 15, 15 kids. kids and the only surviving son. So, wow. So, a lot of daughters? A lot of daughters, but also just a really high... Um, death rate? Infant death rate or early childhood death rate. That's um, why that was, so yeah, that's a why big they're thing. having so many babies. Exactly. That's The sad. fact, yeah, he only had one is, yeah, very, very sad. Um, and according to ancient sources, Marcus's designation of his son to succeed him was the only blot in his reputation. Um, because for, yeah, for hundreds of years before this, like I'd mentioned, um, the successor was chosen based off of merit rather than blood relations. Ah. Um, so that would be the, the least King of Swords thing. That exactly. Do, yeah. And that's really the only, like, negative thing that ancient sources would or would say about would him say is about that him. he gave his Should son a job. not have given it to him. A, yeah. An important job. <laughs> gave his son an important job. Yeah, do yeah. not make this guy emperor. Um, and again, if you've seen the movie Gladiator, you would definitely know this. Um, he, yeah, he's yeah. a little well, cray Power tends to corrupt, and especially if you're too young to handle it. Yeah, and he was only 19. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had a very unstable personality. Um, and he did become obsessed with performing as a gladiator and just... Killing yeah, people. Not, yeah, not good things. <laughs> That's too bad. Too bad he yeah. didn't. He didn't read his his dad's book. 
he he right he should have <laughs> yeah yeah although i heard that there were like that the the book might not have necessarily been published when he died it might not it was because it was a very personal book so he didn't mm-hmm. actually write it for others to read it was yeah, just, just his like own his diary. like diary or mem- not even a memoir i think more like i a remember diary, reading so. once that uh he had ordered it to be burned actually mm. and that like one of the librarians just couldn't bring himself to burn it interesting yeah and ended up publishing it but i don't know when that happened so he might have held on to it for a I while i couldn't look into it but yeah i don't yeah. know it's interesting so. Very interesting. So, yeah, that's our King of Swords. King of Swords, Marcus Aurelius. Yep. Um, I think, like, one of the... Th- especially when you start reading Meditations a bit, um, which is the book that Marcus Aurelius wrote, he has a lot of quotes in there that are just so much King of Swords. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's actually one of our parting words of wisdom comes mm-hmm. from uh, his book. So Yeah, but before we but before do that, that, I just want... <laughs> no, I just want to do a shout-out to Emerald, our newest Patreon supporter. Yay. Thank you so, so much. We thank appreciate you, you. We love you. So much love. Yay. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, and again, as always, you can find us at the usual places at Myth Tarot Love. It's all in the show notes. Um, but I also wanted to mention that um, your Celtic cross tarot spread yes, yes. the ro- um, ro- my rose is celtic cross yes Let's just call it we'll call it that yeah. so because you know we, we meant or you mentioned different um positions of Card cards positions, yeah. and that sort of thing so we actually have that up on our facebook page now so yeah. if you want to join the group um that's on there yeah. as a resource so a little bit about that there are a lot of celtic cross spreads out there mm-hmm. or i'm going to say spreads that are influenced by the celtic cross and they have all kinds of different names to them Mm-hmm. Um, but I couldn't really like, so definitely, uh, when you're, when you're getting into tarot for the first time, like do research, find a spread, like find different spreads that you like mm-hmm. using. You tend to start using the same ones over and over again once you find one that you really like. Um, but one of the things I did as well is I found a bunch of Celtic cross spreads and I just kind of amalgamated them <laughs> into, <laughs> Uh, what I was personally looking for when I was asking a question. So that's what the spread is that's on uh, the Facebook. I also recommend uh, to you guys as well that if you are um, kind of, when you're exploring tarot and finding spreads that you like, uh, you are allowed to actually change what those card meanings are Mm -hmm. if you want to. Um, It's all about, as long as you state that intention before the spread happens, like, once you've revealed the card and you've already stated <laughs> that card's intention, you can't go changing it afterwards. Yeah. Like that's that's gonna start messing with your interpretation of the cards. But mm-hmm. if you state what the card's meaning is before you flipped it over, and that that to- that's totally fine. Yeah. Um, in my personal experience. Um, so yeah, there have been times where I've actually like switched the position of the obstacle and the helper, for example. Um, it's just important that you say that before. <laughs> yes, because that's a big difference. It's a huge <laughs> difference which one's the obstacle <laughs> and which one's the helper. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, because there were times I would use it and I was like, oh, which one was the obstacle, which one was the helper. As long as you state which one it is before your reading, it's fine. But there are times when I did a reading and I stated it afterwards, like especially mm. when I was a newbie, mm-hmm. and I'd state it after, and I was like, oh, this this doesn't make sense, and I would just have to do a whole new reading yeah, all over again. Yeah, you don't have to do that. <laughs> yeah. Um, sometimes it would make sense afterwards, but like not, it wasn't, it was just not as clear. Right. So best, yep. make it clear, 
as clear as you can. Okay, uh, yes, so... Parting words. Our parting words for today, as mentioned before, come from Marcus Aurelius's Meditations. You have power over your mind, not outside events. Realize this, and you will find strength. Myth and tarot. Where do the ideas go? Let's talk about stories, swords, and symbols, and all of the above. Myth, tarot,